Hey, this is Pastor John Ryan Cantu from Numa Church in Houston, Texas. Thank you for listening to the message today. I hope that it blesses you and all those that you share it with. God bless you. Amen. Praise God. Amen. How are we doing this morning, church? Amen. I am blessed to be a dad. You know what? It's funny. Being Father's Day, I, I turn, I open up my laptop and look at, look, look what I got on there. That's, that's Cocoa Melon if, for all you dads who don't, who don't know what's up with the Cocoa Melon, man. Cocoa Melon goes hard. They got some great songs. Um, well, pray, praise God, man. Um, it's good to be in the house of God on this Father's Day. And if we have any dads um, here this morning, man, happy Father's Day to you. Uh, Thank y'all for what you do for your family. I, being a dad myself, I know that it, it takes some work and it takes a lot of patience and it takes a lot of God. Amen. And a special happy Father's Day to, to my dad, um, whom I absolutely love and, and, and will always look up to. I mean, he is, to me, he is the dad of dads. Um, and I'm very blessed to have you as my father. Amen. Well, praise God, church. I am a... We had a beautiful Spanish service uh, this morning, and uh, I, I'm very grateful to um, to the women who who put on uh, a beautiful a beautiful service for uh, for the, for dads and, and and for their husbands. We always say, you know, jokingly that um, not half jokingly, right? That that dads on Father's Day they kind of get, you know, they gotta get the short end of the stick, right? Mother's Day is oh man, red carpet. I mean diamonds and everything and <laughs> and then father's day you see like the academy commercials like hey cargo shorts you know ten dollars off right get your dad a great gift um <laughs> that's that's how they do it that's how they do us amen uh, praise god um i, I want to turn i want to turn to to first samuel the book of first samuel we're going to read chapter 2 verses 22 through 27 and if you're, a, if you're a man, if you're a man in the place, say, say what's, up? what's up? Amen. If we got men here, man, we, had a, we have an awesome men's ministry. Uh, and, and yesterday we had a men's get together. Uh, it, was, it was actually it was at my house. We had, man, we had a good time. We had a good, you know, 25, 30 guys there. And, and we, I mean, we, we ate and we, we hung out um, and, and we do this pretty regularly. So if you're, if you're a guy and you want to get connected, man, get Get connected to uh, to, 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 to Numa Men Ministry, Amen. Um, because man, we need each other. Yeah. Guys need each other. Yeah. Guys, can I, just, fellas, can I just talk to you for a second? You need you need the church, yeah. right? Because women women are so good about getting together and holding each other up, man. And maybe that's why the women tend to be pillars of the church sometimes. But but the men, we're kind of like holding everything out on our, our, ourselves on our own shoulders. We don't have to do that. We got each other. Amen. I, I notice the women are saying amen, not the, not the men. All right. We're going to get you with the sermon this morning. First Samuel 2, 22 through 27. Um, you can follow along with me. I have it up here. It says, now Eli was very old and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel. And how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things? 
For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Down to verse 27, it says, And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded from my dwelling and honor your sons above me, fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Amen. I want to pray over this word this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you, my God, for bringing these beautiful families here uh, this morning, my God, these men, these fathers, my God. I, I thank you for them, Father God, and I pray that this word may speak to them, Father God. I pray that you have, uh, you have requested their attendance here, my God, by divine appointment, my God, to hear this message that you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I entitled this message, so I, I was trying to think of a title that obviously pertains to the message, um, but also something that dads say a lot, right? And so I, I came up with a lot of things, but what I ultimately came up with, and, and maybe this isn't just a dad thing, parents say this in general, but uh, not in my house. Ever, you have a dad or a mom who said, not in my house, right? Dads, can you say that with me this morning, loud and proud? Not in my house. That's right, baby. Your, your, baby, girl, your baby girl wants to bring home her boyfriend to your house? Not in my house. <laughs> your wife making a salad for dinner not in my house <laughs> ericot ericot asking texans to turn up their thermostats to 70 boy not in my house baby not 70 to 73 that's the comfort zone right there not in my house uh if you're familiar with this story um you know the sons of eli they were they had a very, very bad reputation. They were priests in the temple. They served in the temple. Um, these were men who uh, disobeyed uh, the, the, the command of God on how priests were to function. And, and, and the office of the priest, that was a very sacred, very high rank in Israel. And, and they, were, they were treating it like it wasn't even important. Uh, the Bible says that uh, they would... Uh, they would the people would bring offer, uh, sacrifices to be presented to the Lord. And so they would bring these fattened calves, right, this meat, um, to bring them to the, the priest to offer them and burn them. Um, and, and the Bible says that, that these two sons of Eli, Phineas and Hophni are their names, um, they, would, they would stick a fork in the meat as it was burning, uh, as it was being presented to God. And whatever the fork pulled out, they would take for themselves. I mean, how... How disgusting is that to, 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 to be so detestable against the sacrifices of God? They treated the sacrifices of God like they were nothing, uh, and they exploited them for their personal pleasure. They slept with the women who came into the tent of meeting. Verse 17 says that the sins of these young men were very, very great in the sight of God for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. And the worst part of all this is that they were priests serving in the presence of God. These were priests who knew better. 
These weren't just people who were lost in the world and didn't know any better. These were, the, these were supposed to be men of God. They, they knew the law of God, but they actively sought to mock it. This is like Judas, who worked in the presence of Jesus, witnessing Jesus' uh, miracles and his teachings and, and, and probably being blessed by Jesus at times, but, but stealing from the offerings that he and the disciples was, received. This is like Simon the sorcerer, who received the power of the Holy Spirit, but then later decided that he wanted to exploit the gifting of the Holy Spirit and use it for financial gain. This is blasphemous for someone who knew, knows better for what's supposed to be men of God, making a mockery out of God. This is blasphemy. And Eli, Eli is the high priest. He is the father to, to these two men. I think it's fair to say that, that Eli was probably not as wicked as his sons. It's probably fair to say that as the high priest, you know, he was, he was well-respected. Uh, he, was, he was wise. He was a good teacher. He was even, we could even call him a pastor because he was leading the young prophet Samuel uh, uh, in, into his calling and how to, to, to hear the voice of God. So Eli seems to be a man who has his ministry in order, but he has failed to maintain his house. His house isn't in order. His ministry is in order, but his house is in disorder. How many of you know that you can teach a class really well at church and you can spend hours prepping a sermon and, and you, can, you can be in prayer for the sermon that's coming? You can sing really well. You can lead worship really well. You can enter these church doors and, and worship with everything that you've got in front of people without shame. And you can have everything in order in the public eye, but back home, everything's in chaos. Back home, everything is falling apart because you have failed to see your family like a ministry. How many know that family is a ministry? Your family is a ministry. In fact, if the ministry is defined as the Lord's work, then the very first work, the very first ministry ever established was the family ministry. The very first one. Adam was alone in the garden doing the Lord's work. And God sees, you know what, it's not good for man to be alone. Man cannot handle everything by himself. He cannot do my work alone. So it's good that I create a helper for him. And so God established that first ministry in Genesis. Uh, if you look at the calling of, of Abram, we know that it wasn't just Abram's calling, it was Sarah's calling as well. If we look at the command that God gave to Noah to build an ark, it wasn't just Noah who was going to be affected. It was the entire family. So God cares about families because he established families. And sometimes families get neglected from the ministry aspect because, I don't know, no one can see your family situation. No one can see it. Everybody sees the ministers at church. Everybody sees what the church is doing, right? Everybody can, can, can critique the preacher. They can critique the, the, the youth ministry, the, the children's ministry, VBS. Man, we had an awesome VBS, my, minus a few injuries. Amen. It's, it's all gay. It just comes with the territory. But, man, we have, we have, we have a, you know, I, I feel like we have a great ministry at our church. We're not perfect, 
and no church is perfect, but man, we've, we've worked hard to, to create a good ministry and we have good leaders who communicate well with each other. And, 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 uh, you know, we, we meet regularly every December. We talk about the next calendar year and, and, and every now and then we have a, a leadership, you know, conference or seminar. I share the vision with them. We encourage each other. Why? Because we care about the church ministry. And we want the church ministry to be presentable. We want it to be organized. We want, we want you to be fed when you come in and, to, and receive. And I believe that pastors all over the world, they care deeply about their churches. But what's going on at home when you're not in the public sphere? And no one can, no one can critique your family life because they don't really have insight into how it is. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like when, you, when you have people over. And you need to clean up, but you don't really want to clean up. So what do you do? Throw everything under the the bed, throw everything in the closet. You close the closet door. You know, there's a mess behind there. There, There's there's the real situation behind there. Right. And so you might have what looks like a presentable house, but in the closet, everything's falling. The whole house is in the closet. (laughs) And so you may have you may present a great ministry in front of people, but your family ministry is a different story. And I'm convinced, church, that the reason that, that children of, of pastors, children of ministers who, who grow up with, some, like, with a hatred to the church, and I, I have some friends who, who grew up pastor's kids, and they're not, they're not in the, they don't want anything to do with the church. And I believe that a, a lot of that has to do with there being no ministry in the home. There was a ministry at the church. There was a ministry in front of people. There was a ministry on Facebook. There was a a ministry on Instagram, on YouTube, but there was not a ministry in the home. There was no ministry at, at the table. There was no ministry in the car rides. There was no ministry in your children's bedrooms at night. There was no ministry in the home. And you're wondering why children are growing up and they're leaving the church. It's because there was no church at home. There was no God at home. That's the reason. And so, man, I, I, I like to tell people, man, don't feel guilty when you occasionally want to stay home with your family because you've been doing church events every single weekend. Don't feel bad about that. Don't feel bad about staying home occasionally. OK, right. <laughs> occasionally take a, take a week off, take a weekend off, spend it with your family. That is so important. Don't feel guilty for making your, 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 your family, your ministry, because that's what it is. Amen. What happens church? If I give 90% of the, of myself, uh, as a pastor, but only 10% of myself as a father, what happens? I might be killing it as a pastor, but I'm failing as a father miserably. And as we've seen, fatherhood is a ministry. So if I'm failing as a father, I'm really failing God. And my success as a pastor gets canceled out by my mediocrity as a father. Family is a ministry. And I want to drill that into your head this morning. Men, I want to drill that into your head this morning. That you are the priest of your home. Uh, You probably said, I'm never going to be a pastor. I'm never going to be a priest. I'm never going to do that. You are the priest of your home. You are the priest of your home. You don't have to suit up. But you got to be the man of God in your home. Family is a ministry. And and if ministry is the Lord's work, then family ministry means that you're doing God's work through your family. 
So what does that look like? That might, that might, uh, trying, that might mean trying to maintain a household that does not tolerate ungodliness. That does not tolerate sin. That might mean be, becoming watchful and, and aware of what your kids are doing and what they're watching and who they're talking to. Not just to be that parent who like doesn't let their children breathe, but to simply let them know that if God doesn't want it in my house, it's not going to be in my house. Man, if you have a, if you have a dad in your life or a father figure in your life, you're blessed. That's a blessing. It's, it's, it's such a, I, 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 sometimes we take that for granted. I take it for granted that I can call my dad up whenever. I take it, I, I take it for granted um, that, that, that I have so many fatherly figures, spir- spiritual fathers in my life. But maybe you're here this morning, you're like, Pastor Ryan, I don't have any of that. I don't have a, I don't have a dad. I don't have a, I don't have a fatherly figure. Can I, just, can I just encourage you? And look, this, this is going to sound cheesy. This is what all Christians say, but you do have the ultimate heavenly father. You have the, you have the ultimate father who is actually the standard to all, of, all fathers. God is the ultimate standard of all fathers. The role of, of a father is actually modeled after our heavenly father. See, God created man to be fathers. Y'all like Pastor Ryan, don't, don't go there yet. I ain't ready to have children. <laughs> I don't know if that's in God's plans, right? Generally speaking, God, God created men to be fathers. He said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. He didn't just create the two and say, okay, go have some fun, kids, right? He said, be fruitful and multiply, right? So he calls men to father children, but not just father children, okay? That's only, that's only half of it, right? Fathering children alone doesn't fulfill the full image that fathers were created to shadow. Fathers were called, I'm going to give you scripture, fathers were called to bring up their children and the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. That's Ephesians 6, 4. Uh, uh, fathers were called to have compassion. Someone say compassion. Come on, macho man. Compassion on, on, on the lives of your children as God has had compassion on us. That's uh, Psalms 103.13. We've been called to lead and direct our household in the way of the Lord. Don't just lead them into the way of financial success. Lead them in the way of the Lord. Fathers were called to protect their children. Deuteronomy 1.29-31. I know that the world has... I know that the world has redefined terms. They've sought to redefine what makes a man. And they say a man can be a woman. Men don't need to be masculine. Babies shouldn't have gender pronouns until they decide whatever they want to be. They say gender is a construct. What? (laughs) That's what's up. That's right, baby. Right, Pastor B. Man, you see, the world is so confused. A gender is a construct. No, it's not a construct. It is a design. But they don't see that because they don't know their heavenly father. But you, men of God, you know the father that you served. You know the father that that was the father of Abraham and and the Israelites and, 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 and through whom Jesus came and gave us all life and adopted us into his family. You know that. You know that father. You know that father. 
And that's what a father is. It's, it's one who models his heavenly father. If, if all of this, all these redefinition of terms, if that's what becomes popular in our society, which seems to be already going that way, I mean, what even is a father? Right? Like, what, what's a, there's already enough fathers who don't know how to be a father. You want to complicate that even more by muddying up the definitions of what a man is? See, just as a man and a woman were created in the image of God, get this, dads, fatherhood was created in the image of the father. Fatherhood was created in the image of our father. So if your father in heaven is, is good, we should strive to be good. If your father in heaven provides, we should strive to provide. If our father is faithful and sticks around, guess what, dads? If our father protects we should protect our family. Amen. Now, now, a lot of you are saying, Pastor Ron, I'm in great shape as a dad. I do all of the above. I'm a good dad. I provide for my family. I'm faithful and I protect. Now, what if I told you that being a good dad doesn't mean that you just spend time with your kids? That's, that's part of it. But we're, we're, we're taking the image of the father. We're not taking the image of a good dad in the eyes of the world. We're taking the image of the father. A good, see, God isn't good because he spends time with us. He's good because he's morally good. He's morally perfect. So, so to be a father in the image of God means that I must strive to be morally perfect just as my father in heaven is perfect. I must strive for goodness. And man, if you're only a good person in public, but could care less about being a good person in private, you ain't a good person. (laughs) And the thing is, man, kids see this. They see this, man. They're like sponges. They see how their dads act in private versus how they act in public. And and, and they might tell some of their friends at church, my dad don't act like that at home. Bro, kids are the worst, bro. They, they will rat you out. They, you'll be at dinner. <laughs> you'll be at dinner with some, you know, with, with, with some people. And you're like, okay, we're, we're going to pray. And your kids are like, what? We don't, we don't, we don't do this. And you're just like, bow, bow your head. Close your eyes. <laughs> <I'm> praying. <laughs> they will rat you out, bro. To be good means to display God in your home. Display God in your home. And how many of you know that that does not mean just with the Hobby Lobby frames that you got that have that verse on it, okay? You are displaying the goodness to your children by being good to them, by how you speak to them, by how you treat your spouse, by how you manage your finances. You be, being good means you are taking the image of the perfectly good moral father and saying, I'm going to try to be that. And your kids are going to see it. Now, what if I told you that providing for your family doesn't just mean that you're providing food on the table? Because I know that we got some hustlers in the house, man. We got dads, man. They, they'll work. And, man, I, I remember, bro. I, there, there's some men who that's all they do is work. And I might, I might, I might touch a nerve here, okay? But all you do is work and you say, you know, that's the most important thing is me providing for my family. That's very important. But I I, I want you to remember how Jesus told his disciples how to pray. All right. 
He says, ask the father for our daily what? Bread. Now, was he asking for physical nourishment? No. Daily bread signifies spiritual nourishment. I need the daily bread. I need that daily strength. Just, Just as you need daily food to continue living healthy lives, we need spiritual provision daily for our spiritual health. If, we are not, if we're not consuming spiritual nourishment, our spirit will eventually die. So we have to consume it, but not just consume it ourselves. We have to give it. We have to be spiritual providers, not just financial providers. And so how does that look like? If you're not feeding your children spiritual nourishment, you're allowing them to become spiritually malnourished. And this, this could be the reason that, again, kids grow up confused, not having a sense of identity because they were never spiritually fed in the home. And I'm speaking from experience, man, because I, I've got a lot of friends, man, that I, I watched and their parents were pastors and they were ministers. And I'm like, dude, how did, how do you, how did you get so far away? There was no spiritual provision at church. Their parents just dragged them they just dragged them to church. If you're just dragging your kids to church, but not being the priest of your home and, and not giving spiritual nourishment in your home, they're eventually going to say, you know what? I'm, I don't want to go to church. It begins in the home. It begins with, with the word of God being provided in the home. Someone say amen or ouch this morning. I'm feeling some tension. (laughs) You say, Pastor Ryan, I'm faithful. I'm I'm, I'm always present. Never cheated on my spouse. Praise God. Don't ever do it. But what if I told you that being faithful doesn't mean that you just come home every night? Are you spiritually present? Are you spiritually? do, do, Do your children, does your family know that they can go to you? When you have doubts, are you the first person they go to before anyone else? Do they know that they can go to you, that they can count on you for spiritual counsel? Man, I would go to my parents every, I would go, because of Father's Day, I'm talking about dad. Um, I, I, could, I still go to my dad for spiritual counsel. And I know that he's there for me and, I, and he's the first one that I go to. Is that, is that the model that you've created in your home that your kids can go to you before anyone else? Do they know that they can, that they can ask you a question about the Bible and you're at least going to do everything that you can to answer it for them before you just tell them, oh, go talk to your pastor? <laughs> Are you spiritually present? Do, do, do they know that you pray for them? Amen. Last one. What if I told you that protecting your family doesn't mean that you just have a gun in your home for protection? I mean, you can have a gun. I have a gun. I don't have any ammo, but <laughs> I shouldn't have said that out loud. I got, I'm just kidding. I'm covered. My house is covered by the blood of Jesus. Bro. I don't care. You come up. Come at me, bro. <laughs> hey. But that's what it means to protect your family means you're covering your family in the blood of Jesus. Every single night, every single night. I pray the blood of Jesus over my family, over my household. Every, I've not missed a night since I got married. I said, Lord, cover my family, my household in your blood because I know 
that there is an enemy out there who would love to see my marriage fail. There is an enemy out there who would love to take my children from, from the faith. I know that my family needs protection. I know there's temptation out there in the world. I know that there's sin. I know that there's evil, and it wants to do harm to them. So I must protect them with my prayers, with the word, and with everything that I know how to. That is what being a father in the image of our father looks like. You can be a good dad by the world standards. Okay, I I know plenty of people, ungodly people who are are good dads, but I don't want to just be a good dad. I want to be a father who is modeled after my father in heaven. And maybe Eli thought, man, I'm I'm a good dad. He got them the hookup at the temple, right? He got him a job. He seemed to be present, you know. But, but as a father in the image of the father, Eli failed. And he failed because he didn't treat fatherhood as a ministry. See, I'm almost done. I, I want you to see that it's interesting that, that Samuel, so remember Samuel is the up-and-coming prophet, right? Samuel was dedicated in the, uh, in the temple uh, by, by his mother, Hannah. Hannah could not have children, and, and she prayed diligent year, uh, diligently year after year. She would go to the temple, and she would ask God for a child. And, and Eli said, go home. Your prayer is going to be answered. And, and Hannah has Samuel, and this woman of God, Hannah, decides, you know what? I'm going to give him back to my God. I am going to dedicate him for the Lord's service, right? And I'm going to give him to you. And so she actually gave him, uh, she actually gave Samuel to Eli so that Eli could raise in the temple. That's dedication. That, that is a man, that's a mama who wants to see her child grow up to be a man of God. And that's what he became. And, and Eli takes Samuel in. He takes it seriously. And he remains... Uh, Samuel remains under the mentorship of of Eli, and and when Samuel hears the calling of God and he doesn't understand it, if you know the story, Eli tells Samuel how to respond. He literally leads Samuel to God. The Bible says that Eli perceived the Lord was calling the boy, and Eli said to Samuel, go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So if it wasn't for the ministry of Eli, there might not have been a, a ministry of Samuel. So Eli was killing it as a priest, but then God rebuked him because he failed as a father. Now you might be saying, hold up, man. Why is God holding Eli accountable for the sins of his grown children? If God himself dealt with rebellious children, surely we're going to deal with rebellious children. Children grow up with minds of their own. We cannot control what they do. So why is Eli being dealt with so harshly? It's because Eli refused to get out of his house that which did not belong. See, Eli showed God that he didn't have really any reverence for his presence because when Eli hears about what his sons are doing, these disgusting things that they're doing in the temple, you know what Eli does? He has a conversation with them. Now, there's some times where a conversation is warranted. You get, a, you get a call from, you know, from the principal and, hey, you know, little Timmy hit John, whatever, right? And you, you, you sit him down and like, hey, we don't, we don't hit people, right? That, that merits a conversation. Sometimes, you know, sometimes people mess up and, and they need a conversation. This wasn't that. 
they needed to have been ejected immediately because they were, they were disrespecting the house of the Lord. And he has a conversation with them. Kids, come on, guys. Be better than this. Don't stick forks in the sacrifices. Don't sleep with the women at the tent of meeting. He became tolerant of sin in his home. That was, that was why he fell, because he tolerated sin in the house of God. So, so what's, what's the message here, parents? It's simple. We can't tolerate sin in our home. It's that simple. And, and, and please, please know, please know that sinners are not the same thing as, 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 as tolerating sinners is not the same thing as tolerating sin. God tolerates sinners. He tolerated David. He tolerated Jonah. He tolerated Samson. He tolerated the whole nation of Israel. But active sin cannot be tolerated in God's presence. Because it's the antithesis of what God is. And so this is why we, we are to be the priests of our home. That means that we guard our home. We guard our family from evil, keeping it holy and knowing that where the spirit of God dwells, sin cannot be present. And so if sin cannot be present, that means I cannot entertain it and I cannot tolerate it. If I want my house to be a house filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit, it cannot be a house that is filled with sin as well. Eli failed because he knew where, where, where the presence of God dwelled, but he was allowing sin to, to stay in there. They're my children, God. I'm fearful of the next generation if we as Christian parents become too tolerant of what we allow in our home. You know, I, I know, I know sometimes we talk about the, the previous generations especially in the Hispanic culture. Many of us dealt with some strict parents, some strict grandparents. I've told y'all the story. My, my, my grandpa basically condemned me to hell because I had a little earring. I shouldn't have had an earring. That's just, it makes me so ashamed to say it. <laughs> Not for spiritual reasons either. Um, but but we, 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 many of us probably have some strict parents, especially if you grew up in a Pentecostal household. Yeah. You, you know what strictness is, right? And sometimes, sometimes these parents, these grandparents, I, you know, sometimes they, they, push, they push their kids away because they didn't, they didn't do it right, right? But at the same time, I know, for example, my grandma, she would never allow sin in her home. There was this one time I was a kid. I was watching... I was watching cartoons, and uh, it went to a commercial. And the commercial was like one of those jeweler commercials where, you know, like Jared, right? And uh, so in the commercial, the couple was, was, was very affectionate, right? I mean, he went to Jared, right? And, and, <laughs> and then and in the commercial, like towards the end of it, the, the, the couple shares this little quick kiss. And she walks in at the same time. She's like, paga some mongrero. She's like, I, not in my house. I don't know what your parents let you watch at home. I'm like, there's no rule on Jared commercials, Grandma. <laughs> but, you know, like, but I, I, you better believe that my grandma wouldn't allow even an ounce of potential sin in her home. There was zero tolerance for it. 
And what we need in our generation, in this generation, are men and women who will reflect God in their homes. Can I get, can I get some keys? Come on. I'm serious, man. I'm serious. We need fathers who aren't just Christian in public, but and heathens in private, okay? We need fathers who are godly men in their homes. Eli, this man of God, became tolerant of sin, and as a result, he was rejected in the same way that, that King Saul was rejected as, as king. They both became okay with disobedience. Did you know that, you know, when we say that we're priests of our home, that we're supposed to be priests of our home, that, that's not one of those things that just Christians say and, and you can't find it in the Bible. No, that's biblical. 1 Peter 2.5. It says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a, a holy. Someone say the word holy. We are called, we are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In ancient Israel, there were these three main offices in Israel. There was the king, there was a prophet, and there was a priest. Those were the highest ranks in Israel. Those were all equally important. None of them was, was more important than the other. Even the king couldn't fulfill the duties of a priest. In fact, it was tried once, King Uzziah, and he was rejected. The priesthood Listen, men, men of God, the priesthood was so sacred, and it still is. The priests were to offer sacrifices of praise. They were to offer sacrifices on, on behalf of God's people. They were to offer the sin offering on the day of atonement. They were to become advocates who stood in the gap to the people. They, rep, they were agents of God, and to God they were agents of the people. And this same priesthood has been placed upon us as believers. Not that we need to enter the tent of meeting or offer animal sacrifices, but we still act as mediators. We are still, act, we are still agents of God to our family, to our kids who don't know any better, who are trying to be built up into a spiritual house. How can they, built up? How can they be built up if we are not preparing the way for them? God wants to do a work in your children and he has, he has called men of God and women of God to be the priests in their home to build and to edify. But because there is no firm foundation, so many of the generation has become lost. God, God wants some men who will say, you know what, I am not going to be ashamed to cry in the presence of God. God is looking for men who are not afraid to be vulnerable and tell their children, guys, I don't know how we're going to do it. I don't know how we're going to get through this season, but I am dependent on my father. And I want you to depend on me because I am looking at him. That's the type of men that we need. We don't need the men who say, you know what? Don't worry about it. I've got this because we got nothing. God is, God is trying to raise up some men of God. And I was so blessed yesterday to see a group of men, about 25, 30 of us, man. We turned my living room into a, into a sanctuary. Praising God, lifting up our hands, singing praises to God. 
And that is what God is calling in this generation. He's calling men for this generation so that there could, be, there could still be men in the next generation. I'm going to ask that we stand this morning. And I, I, I love what Pastor Danny did this morning, and I want to do the same thing. I want to I I ask the men to step forward, the, the priests of their home. Come on, if you're a priest of your home, come on, step up. Wear that priesthood with pride this morning. next few moments men of God we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to ignite something in us maybe we have been vacant maybe the Holy Spirit has not been present in our lives because we haven't allowed him in and we have said God I've got this I'm going to ask this morning that you release pride release the pride because that is one of the biggest sins that we deal with is pride God, I'm letting go. And I want you to fill my life. Because you know what? My children are worth it, my God. My, my future grandchildren are worth it, my God. The generations after me, they are worth it, my God. They are worth I want them to look back generations and pictures and say, that was my grandpa. That was my, grand, that was my great-grandfather who paved the way for where I am today. I have, a man, I have a man in my life who is not here anymore. I have a great-grandfather who paved the way. And I'm grateful. You don't know how grateful I am for that. And I'm, I'm sorry if you don't have that. I'm sorry if you don't have generations of men who were ministers and, and, and who... <laughs> I'm sorry if you don't have that, but it could start with you. It can start with you, and you can make the generations after you proud, just as I am proud of the generations that raised me. But it starts with igniting revival and releasing pride and say, God, I want to be the man that you've called me to be. I want to be the father you have called me to be. We just have a moment with God this morning. Thanks for listening. If you'd like some more information on Numa Church, visit us on our website at mynumachurch.org. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with your friends on social media and tag us at mynumachurch. Thanks again and God bless.